This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Welcome to IA Forward. Today I want to talk about something that I hear one of our top agents, our very first Integra Partner Agent of the Year, Brian Besh, down in Lakeway, Texas. And he says this all the time. And I have several Besh-isms that I try to kind of live by and market by and but I really like this one and he says there has never in the history of sales been a decision made based on price. Every buying decision is based on want or need and it's based on perceived value. What I'm trying to really process here is whether I really think we ought to give this much credit to Mr. Besh because I just don't know if he's going to receive this very well. I really think that we already give him so many attributes to just being the first Integra Partner Agent of the Year. Now we're going to start talking about his quotes, like there's going to be memes and up next to Einstein and all these incredible thinkers throughout history. There's now going to be this bust of the Brian Besh-ism meme. So is that where we're going? That's where we're going. He's simply the Besh. Simply the Besh. All kidding aside, I totally agree with Brian. It is an incredible observation and he is a great agent and great friend and has done an incredible job building his agency, book of business, his organization and starting into the second generation with his agency and as a value oriented salesman and just a really good technician of digging into policy coverage and identifying missing coverage areas for his prospects, what you get down to is that we spend so much energy around price that we just don't get the perceived value, need, or want situation. We think that the end result was price, but really that need, want, or perceived value piece was way more important than the actual price itself. I have an example. You knew I would. I have kind of gone back and forth about vehicles in the last year. I drive a 10-year-old vehicle with 223,000 miles on it. It's a Toyota Tundra. I love it. It's the best truck I've ever had in my life. This vehicle today, anything remotely close to this vehicle for a full-size four-wheel drive crew cab pickup are sixty dollars to $70,000 price ranges. I'm not doing it. I can't get to the perceived value part. I don't necessarily have a need because my Toyota Tundra cranks every day and it gets me from point A to point B. I do have the want. I would like to have a newer vehicle that doesn't smell like a middle school football locker room. I just don't have that perceived value to run out and spend sixty-five or seventy thousand dollars on a depreciating asset. I'm still stuck on the fact that you said that your truck smells like a middle school locker room, and my brain zoned at that point, and I really don't know what else you said after that. I don't love embarrassing my children publicly, but. 
but my youngest child, athlete, softball player, hot summer travel tournaments. And there is this don't take your shoes off rule. And there's been an occasion multiple times actually where her cleats were not taken out of my vehicle after the tournament and they stayed in there for a couple of days until I realized that this smell wasn't going away when I ran the air conditioner. It's not so terrible that I want to go spend $70,000 on a truck. And so back to perceived value here, I just can't get there. And maybe, maybe inflation and just the economic cycle when it's all said and done, maybe this is where we stay. And maybe I do eventually have to pull the trigger on this. But today I'm not there. Plus with insurance rates being what they are right now, who knows what that would be on a new truck, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm going to fall into the bucket of people that I complain about that go out and spend some ridiculous amount of money on something. And then I'm going to complain about the insurance price to cover that thing. The insurance piece is the one that gets picked on the most. Not the fact that I just bought a seventy dollars or $80,000 vehicle because in Texas, and I'm sure it's this way across most of the South and maybe in other parts of the country, but the new Chevrolet Suburbans and Tahoes have come out, Z71 packages, and these things look cool and there's a lot of them running up and down the roads. The Suburban is forever known as the Texas Cadillac. My wife had two over the years and we drove them till the wheels fell off and that's because we had kids and somebody else's kids and equipment and we had all kinds of stuff and we took road trips but now we've moved from 35 to 48 thousand dollar range vehicles to you can't get into any of these vehicles unless you top 60 and you move on up towards ninety thousand dollars i've just reached this tipping point where i'm not doing it and so this perceived value thing really really resonates with me right now as insurance agency owners how do we help ourselves and our team members understand this idea that the decision's really not being made on price. We have to understand where our prospect is at. And I think we have to understand first and foremost that in so many cases, the challenge with insurance and when insurance pricing is escalating at the rate that it is right now is that we are in sort of that mandate product area in one realm. In one realm, of thinking on the consumer side, their mortgage company is forcing them to carry insurance. Now, they should carry insurance on their home. It's most people's largest asset. So forget the fact that it's their largest asset. All they hear is that their mortgage company requires them to carry insurance on it. So that's switched. The mortgage company switched on us and they made it a mandate. The state requires them to carry coverage or their auto loan company requires them to carry coverage on their vehicle. One of those two things both come with a mandate. First and foremost, understand that the customer perspective is that I am forced to do this. I am not forced to buy that new boat. I won't to buy that new boat. I love the idea of going to the lake every weekend, but I must 
I have to carry insurance on this boat. Insurance makes me mad. Never mind the $80,000 price tag on the boat or a hundred if depending on what you do. It's this $2,000 a year or $1,500 a year insurance premium that's going to make me really, really mad. And we have to put ourselves first and foremost into their seat, make sure we understand where they're coming from before we can change the conversation. Monday night, we took our boat out uh, across the two bays from Pensacola over to Pensacola Beach for dinner and tied up at the dock over there. And we walked about a quarter of a mile away and, and had a real fun dinner outside. And something got said by one of our friends that he hoped the boat was still there when we got back. It was about 1030 at night. And I will never forget, my husband just looked at him and went, that's why we bought the good insurance. Y'all learned a lot through that process. That's right. No, you don't want a claim. Nobody wants a claim. And and let me say this, and I'm sure most of our listeners, insurance agents have had a claim, but maybe not. The claim itself is painful, no matter how good the experience is. When you have a claim, something that you owned, enjoyed, were used to, were comfortable with, is no longer what it used to be. I recently had a situation with a family family member who had an accident and their vehicle was totaled. It was an older vehicle. It was paid for and they had gotten used to not having a car note for a few years now. It was exactly what they wanted and now it's gone. Just because they got a new vehicle doesn't mean that things are great. They're not super happy that they had that claim. If they could rewind and go back before the claim happened, before the accident happened, and keep their vehicle and get their vehicle back intact and just make that whole incident go away, they would choose that. You really can never go back exactly where you were. And I think that's the challenge that we have that we have to overcome. Going back to St. Besh, one of the things that Brian also will do is he is the fastest person that I have ever seen to walk away from a sale. And then the potential client comes running after him. But this is true. So it's that walk away power and it's that never being desperate. It's knowing you're right because you are the expert and being able to say, look, I'm not going to write your insurance coverage that way because in the end, you're going to be mad. If you have a claim, you're going to be mad and you're not going to come be mad at me because I'm telling you this is what we're doing. You might need to go be a customer of somebody else who's willing to go to that point. That is reality. And if you are an agent that can reach that realm mentally, most of us cannot. The walkaway power that Brian maintains is extraordinary. And I think it's something to kind of aspire to be. One of the biggest successes that we have seen with Brian and this walkaway power in his idea of perceived value is that his policy per customer ratio is outstanding. And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that because of the beginning and the way he designed the book and built the book and this incredible policy per customer ratio, almost entirely personal lines, by the way. And this isn't high net worth book. This is middle of the road, middle-class America, people that can afford to pay their bills, yes, but at the same time, definitely not a high net worth agent. Policy per customer ratio, 2.6 plus, just really sticky. And today in this 
really difficult market. Yes, there's servicing. Yes, there are conversations, but he is not having the disruption. He isn't having this same kind of environment that say an agent with a 1.6 or 1.7 policy per customer ratio is having because a lot of those agents with lower policy per customer ratio, they have single policy accounts. And when you are a single policy account agent, it's easier for that customer to jump. It's easier for them to just go down the street or go somewhere else. The perceived value is in Brian's knowledge. It's in the agent's expertise and they don't want to be without that expertise. There's a stickiness to that. He's the EF Hutton to his customers. When he says something, they really listen. Adding to his perceived value, his customers don't leave because they know if they need to find a good attorney, a good CPA, if they need to know where to take their car to get it fixed. Brian can send people to the right people and he's a fantastic connector. So I think that there's added value that he provides along with the perceived value of what he's selling. He's a connector because he has time to be a connector. He's not doing busy work remarketing every renewal term. He doesn't have to. That creates this expandable time for you to rise above being a proposal generator, a quote generator. It just takes you to a different level and that time and capacity that it creates allows you to just continue to double up on the referral network, on being that connector, on being something even more valuable to your customer base. And I think that's the reason for that is because the way he built his book of business created future time capacity for himself. And that was done very specifically. He started this from the beginning because the most important thing to Brian was being able to spend time with his family. And so when he set out to build this book, he built the lifestyle that he wanted. And I think sometimes we forget that that's why we went into business for ourselves is because there was a specific lifestyle that we wanted to build. And you can't do that by playing Oliver Twist and asking, please, sir, may I have some more with your hands held out? I feel like we need to slow down. And I think that that's part of the walkaway power and part of the account selling and creating the perceived value. That is something that Brian did in the beginning. The typical sales person, me included, how much money do I want to make? And that's where it starts and everything gets backed into from there. Well, there has to be some perspective to that because what is that number? Well, I want to make a million dollars a year. Okay, that's arbitrary. Do you want to make a million dollars a year this year? Do you want to eventually make a million dollars? Is there a timetable that you're going to give yourself on that? What we do, and I'm going to exaggerate this a little bit, but I want to make a million dollars a year. That's a salesperson type statement. So I'm going to back my way into it. And then I get down and I get down to the calculation. And that means I need to sell five policies a day. How many? leads do I need? Well, again, you know, close ratio 10% or close ratio of 90%. All these things become relative perspective things. And then you look up and in an eight hour day, I'm not going to take you past eight hours. I want you to think eight hours. I want you to think 40 hours a week because I want you to see your family. I don't want you to get divorced. I want you to have a relationship with your children. I want you to know all those, have all that great stuff. And we don't have enough time to make a million dollars 
a year today. What we have to do is we have to slow down and we have to think about this over that long-term infinite game process and go, okay, but if I do these things in this order and I really take care of my clients and I really create this expertise, confident persona to my customers, not arrogant, confident, and people want to do business with me because I'm the expert, then at X point out in the future, I am making an incredible living and I'm still married. I have a great relationship with my kids. I'm going on vacations. I'm doing all these incredible things that I want to do. And I've still got this incredible asset, this business that is kick and tail in a hard market and a soft market. Realistically, when I think back when I was in my 20s and 30s, it was all about how much money did I want to make. And I would set goals and then I would set goals and try to blow past them as quickly as possible. And I I can look back and see the time that I sacrificed with my family, with the things that I love to do. And would I do things differently? Well, no, because it put me exactly where I am today. And if I had changed any of those decisions, I wouldn't be in this place. But that being said, when I was in my 20s and 30s, if I was listening to this podcast, I would have been like, yep, forget it. I'm all about like, this is how much money I want to make. That's where my mind is. So I'm wondering if you and I having this thought and even Brian building his book was a time of life difference. Would he have built it the same way in his 20s and 30s? I think it's not having the experience and yet Yes, I think there's some reality to that. I would be the first to admit, no, I don't want to back up and redo this. I am who I am because of my experiences. And I want everyone out there to own and love the experiences, good or bad, that they've gone through to get to the point that they are now. Because what you've learned and who you are is really important. And and, and I, I love that. I love that about people in general. And even though I have regrets, so to speak, it made me who I am today. And so that's really important first and foremost. Yes, at 28, 30, 32, I don't know if I'm listening to this and hearing it the same way. I wish I would have understood that I could have achieved this in about a three or four year period, what I spent 10 years messing up and never actually getting there because I kept running numbers and running numbers and oh, I'm behind. And then I made a short-term decision that really affected me for a long period of time. And that short-term decision led me to a servicing load that didn't allow my book of business to get to a certain point. I don't know that a 28-year-old or a 30-year-old listening to this today that has not gone through not being able to take your family on a true vacation because you couldn't quote disconnect it's realizing that they're about to graduate high school (laughs) i've learned the hard way that telling people about my experiences doesn't necessarily make them change their behavior until they go through their own experiences i'm going to share another beshism and this is one of the first things that he ever said to me when i met him for the first time he said it's a lot cheaper to get another client than to get another spouse so very true thankfully i have a wonderful spouse and that didn't happen to me But I'm sure there were periods of time when I was working ridiculous hours trying to, quote, hit that earning number.
number and become this thing in my mind that I had created on paper, there were probably times where she maybe goes, I just wonder if I should say something. I wonder if I should just let him keep going. There's just this reality that I'm sure if I go back in my own timeline and go, I wasn't a really great husband during that season of life. Or maybe there were gaps of being present. Even though I was there, I wasn't really present as a father. I was thinking about something else I had going or worrying about this account or something like that. There's a difference between showing up and being physically there without being present. And I think that I was extremely guilty of that in my early days. Every time I hear an agent tell me there's no way that they could not answer the phone during their kids' ball games, you can call them back the next morning. It's gonna be okay. You do not have to pick up your cell phone 24 seven. And I've done it. I will tell you that I've done it. I am totally guilty of this in the first, second and third degrees, but looking at it now, it's just one of those things that I would have changed about what I had done. We did a panel at our agents conference, 10 of our top agents, and every single one of them said, do not give your private cell phone number out to clients. And then I probably had 10 agents come up to me afterwards and tell me why that won't work for them. It creates this negative attribute towards the perceived value. Are you trying to be a servant or are you trying to be an insurance expert? I can't remember calling my doctor or my attorney after hours or on weekends and getting them on the first ring. I can't remember that ever happening. I don't know that that would ever happen. Now, maybe they have a doctor network or a doctor group where they're on call with each other, helping each other out, and they called me back if I had like an emergency. But if we think about that, why are we doing that as an insurance professional? Because we're removing the perceived value. And part of my thought here is that depending on how you sold that policy, or sold that customer is going to dictate whether you feel like you can not answer that call during the ball game or the recital or whether you feel like you have to answer that call during the ball game or recital. Are you creating perceived value, expertise to your client or are you creating a servant sort of mindset to your client? So many agents have a fear that they're expendable and that's why they answer that phone because they think, oh my God, gosh, if I don't answer this call at 9 p.m., then they're going to hang up the phone and call someone else. You have to tell yourself that you are the best at what you do, that you know your stuff, you know this client, and you show your value in that way. What kind of client do you think this person's going to be that calls you at nine o'clock at night or calls you on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. while you're cooking breakfast for your family? What kind of client in a disaster, in an emergency, a real emergency, a claim situation, do you think this person's going to be? My guess is is nine out of 10 times, this person is going to be a disaster to work with. They are going to be relentless and they're going to tear into you and they're going to make your staff miserable. And the person that does that, 
doesn't really belong in my book of business is my mindset. That's just where I immediately go. I had those individuals. I answered that phone. It was the house phone back then. They called me on my home phone because they could look it up in the phone book. And I had that happening. And it was like, wait a minute, what is this? Why is this such an emergency? Is it really something that couldn't have happened at 8.30 or 9 a.m. the next morning? And I fell into that trap of self-importance. I have to answer this. And I think that's really part of it is it makes us feel important to answer that call. But really what you're doing is you're creating a habit with your client base that's not going to be healthy. I had a 3 a.m. phone call from a client one time and it totally changed my perspective. This client drove me nuts and he called one morning at 3 a.m. with a question on could he make some changes with his radio marketing that was a month and a half away and called me at 3 a.m. and I started answering his questions when I woke up and the cute boy was like, what in the world are you doing? Who are you talking to at three o'clock in the morning? And I said, well, this client called me. And he said, and you couldn't tell him that you'd call him back tomorrow? And no one had ever said that to me. I had never had a sales manager. I had never read in a business book. Nothing was, I'm going to call him back in the morning. I can't do anything about it tonight. And when Daniel said that to me, it really changed my perspective. Is this the client you really want? No. He was not the client I wanted. The abusive, no respect for you. That's the part where we just miss it. We think that, okay, I want to be service minded. Every insurance agent in the world. What makes you unique? What makes you great? Well, it's my service. Well, we all say that. We all believe that. And I believe you. And all of you can call me and tell me that. And I'm going to believe you. I understand what you're saying. But that's not necessarily great service. That's not what that means in my view. Experience is where we want to get to. Let's get to a client experience. Let's realize that some people abuse our kindness. They overuse that whole service element to the level of ridiculousness. And that's not who you want. That's not your client. If you're a standard preferred agency, that's not your clientele. I'm going to leave us today with another quote from Brian Besh. Pick what you're good at and stay in that lane. Attitude's a choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at IAForward.com.